Well, this morning we're going to start out by uh, reading Galatians 2.20, which will kind of be, as you can see, uh, the outline. I've, I've kind of split it up in different sections here. But we'll just start by turning there, or you can just read it right off the paper. Um, Galatians 2.20. So it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, I'm going to open in prayer. Um, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for another day of grace that you've given to us and this opportunity just once again to come uh, read from your word. And just thank you for your word that you have given us, that we can learn uh, the knowledge of the truth from you. And please help us to uh, learn today what, what it is uh, that we are called by you and uh, just this identity that you have given us in your son. And help us to realize that we are crucified with Christ and Christ lives in us. So uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I just want to thank you guys again for the opportunity to speak this morning. And uh, just as I said in the prayer, I thank God for the words that he's given us to learn from and grow in. And if you can recall the last time I spoke, uh, a few weeks ago, I brought up this amazing reality of, who, of what, it's, uh, what we've been given in Christ. Specifically, the position as an ambassador is what I talked about last time when we are placed into the body of Christ. And I conveyed kind of throughout that and very heavily at the end the importance of understanding who you are in Christ. But I expressed that in the, only the half hour we had last time, we had just begun to scratch the surface of that topic. Because the depth, the depth of Christ's riches truly take a lifetime to learn. So if I were to consider this message to be in a series with the other one, uh, I would group them under a series title of something like, Who Am I? Discovering Your Identity in Christ. And so from the onset of today's message, I want to jump right into that question. Who am I? Or who are you? When a new believer is saved, it logically follows they may wonder what happens next. They've been saved, and now they don't have to worry about hell. So they may express something like, and I've heard similar, Great, I'm all set, right? God's grace gave me some fire insurance, and now I'm good. I'll wait to die and go to heaven, and then things can get started. But is that the case? So I talked a little bit last time about some responsibilities we've been given and our reason for being left on earth. Turn to Ephesians 5.17. Ephesians 5.17. All right, Ephesians 5.17. I'm going to back up to verse 15. It says, see, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so one might ask, well, what is his will? What am I supposed to do? Who am I? God gave us the tools to learn to answer to these questions from Scripture. And these are good questions, not only for the new believer to ask, but for the seasoned believer to revisit again and again, because there's extraordinary depth to God's grace that he offered freely to the ungodly that saved you, and that same grace is what you are called to walk in. The question of who am I can be answered from so many different directions, and when I study this out in the Bible, I, end up at, I ended up in prayer just preparing this, is uh, asking God, is there no end to the truths being gathered on this subject? And there's not. It just goes on and on. And when I first drafted this, I thought, 
And we'll cover some of the things I just wasn't able to get in the last message, but as I continued to study it out, just verse after verse kept coming, and it was so hard to just stay focused on one thing. Kind of reminds me of the song we just sang with Count Your Blessings. Like, there are so many to count. <laughs> All right, so we're in Ephesians. Turn back to chapter 3 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. This verse was included in my, or this passage rather, was included in my message uh, previously as well, because it has a fascinating truth, I think, contained. I mean, there's a lot of truth, just deep truth in there, but this one in particular, that we can comprehend, that we can know the love of Christ um, and be filled with how much of God? The fullness of God. Paul repeats 12 times the phrase, um, at least in the King James, in his epistles, know ye not. Uh, and he says about six times or so that he would not have you to be ignorant. And so uh, there's, this, there's this idea here of comprehending and understanding, knowing things of God. And these are not hidden things. And too often I think, and I'm guilty of this, I spent time in prayer asking for an answers to questions such as these, the who am I's, you know, what is your will? And I have failed to read the book that God wrote that contains those answers. And keep this question in mind, who am I? And I'd urge you uh, to use some of the blank space on your outline as we go through this this morning to answer these questions with truths we find in God's word. And consider them deeply and meditate on them. Find some quiet time later this afternoon and just thank God for the incredible riches that he has given each and every one of us in his body. So when you were born into this world, one way or another you were given a name. Okay. Likely your name was not chosen by you. And we do come up with names for ourselves. We have nicknames and screen names and account names for things. But I'm talking about the name you were given when you were born. And for the sake of this illustration, where we get our names is generally from our parents. And they got their names from their parents, and it just goes back and back and back. So that name that you received when you were born, that is what you are called. And as you grow, your identity develops around various things, and those become a part of it. Like when you're initially born, you're probably identified with a family. This reminds me a little bit of the Lord of the Rings, and there's other examples of this. Um, but there's the character Aragorn, and he's commonly introduced as Aragorn, son of Arathorn, right? And there's other ones, Gimli, and uh, even in the Bible it, it speaks like this. But um, additionally, in other areas, there will be different things attached to his name, whether it be like jobs, achievements, or maybe relations, and that's a pretty common thing. Um, well, why all that? Because it's building up an identity. And these names and titles express who an individual is and what they're all about. So how do you introduce yourself? I would say for most Americans, it's typical that you would say your name and then follow, follow it with what you do for a living. So are you a doctor, a farmer, a student? And then maybe a child identifies themselves with their parents. And that's a little food for thought since we're the children of God, right? And have you ever taken some of the personality tests that are out there? A little bit different topic here, but 
so some of these personality tests, um, I find them interesting not so much for the results that they give to me personally, but more for how other people react to the results. You know, you go through the answers and they, they give you questions about what would you do in certain situations and you answer, I would do this or do this, and it kind of is a spectrum. And at the end, it groups you all together with people who would answer similarly. And then it gives you like a name or a number and it kind of identifies you by that. Um, I've seen people, and it's okay to take these things, and it's kind of fun to figure out a little, you know, bits about you, but I've seen people take these tests and then decide that they need to shape their lives around the results that came out of them. And some of these tests become excuses. Well, I couldn't help but get angry with you because I took this test and it told me I'm a whatever, you know. And is that what defines you? Who are you? And so we move into the first point in the outline here, where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. So looking at Galatians 2.20, which I, we go, we're going to go back to it so much, it's just right on the top of the outline. But I've simply, simply broken the verse into a few sections. Galatians 2.20 really is Paul setting an example and following his own writings that he gave in Romans chapters 5 through 8. And we'll look at some of those things as we go on. But I want to give some context for Galatians uh, 2.20. So I will have you go ahead and turn to that passage, passage Galatians 2. I'm going to establish just kind of what's going on here where, where Paul is going to be saying this. So in Galatians 2, Paul goes to Jerusalem with Titus and Barnabas. And Paul comes because there's been some talking going on and some disputing happening. And so the Holy Ghost tells Paul to go up and deal with it. Paul comes in, and what's been being questioned is what Paul has been teaching. And Paul, of course, tells them that he's been preaching the gospel of the grace of God to the Gentiles. And he says this in, uh, in chapter 1, he, he mentions a little bit about what he's been talking about. So we'll go over to chapter 1, verse 11, which Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul, Paul here is claiming that he got revelation from Jesus Christ, and there's some dispute, like, is this actually the case? And so these things caused quite a stir. And in Acts 15, which is the parallel account, we won't turn there, but you can get more details available there, um, the apostles and elders in Jerusalem gathered together to discuss this. And Paul has been preaching the gospel of grace to the Gentiles, and the apostles and elders are not sure about what they're hearing. So Paul makes a point in Galatians 2.6 2, to show that the apostles and elders that are disputing there had nothing to add to his ministry, so in verse 6, he says, But of these who seem somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepted no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. And then verse 7 starts up, but contrary wise. So Paul came in, and he's actually teaching them something. He's claiming that God had given him the last revelation. And so there's this dispute happening. And so basically what comes out here is that once this has been decided, uh, as far as this, this has been cleared up among everybody, it's agreed at the end here that Paul and his friends are going to go out to what it calls here the heathen, and then the Peter and the other 11 are going to go preach to the Jews, and that's kind of how it's settled. So now we'll jump over to verse 11, where it says, so 2.11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. Okay, Paul, what are you doing? You're withstanding Peter. Like, Peter should know what's going on, right? So Paul is withstanding Peter to the face. Um, he's, Peter apparently was eating with the Gentiles and kind of having some fellowship there. And James walks in. 
And apparently Peter kind of goes back to under, you know, he's under the law. And so there's, there's this division that he causes by James walking in and Peter decides, well, there, there should be a separation between the Jews and Gentiles and he starts separating and apparently, you know, they go eat somewhere else. And so Paul then has to remind Peter of what he had said he had received from God. And so he reminds them how a man is truly saved, reiterating that God has extended grace to the people, to these people, and that righteousness is not of the law. And so with that reminder that Paul begins, we finally reach verse 20. So that's the context of the passage where he says, I am crucified with Christ. And I'm just going to stop there for now, and we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to apply the same question of who are you to just Paul for a second here and just talk a little bit about his conversion. I do, I put verses on the outline here. I'm gonna skip a few of these and cut out a little bit, but um, we're gonna look at a little at, back at Paul's life. And we're tackling this topic of identity and determining our identity given by God. So we're gonna do a bit of jumping around. And again, they got the verses just on there if you miss what I said. But first I wanna establish why this is gonna be so important for us to see. So if you turn to 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1, and verses 15 through 16. So why is it good to look at Paul's life as he's you know, saying these things, I am crucified with Christ? Um, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, begins to show us how important that truly is. Because Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all ex- acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So we learn that Paul is the chief of sinners. Okay, there was an identity there. Verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. We learn that Paul's life is an example for us and is a pattern for our lives. Okay, I'm going to skip the Acts 1 references and go to the Acts 7.59. So we turn over to Acts 7.59. So we're going to look a little bit here about what Paul was doing prior to his conversion. And in Acts 7 was the stoning of Stephen. So we're getting to the tail end of that as we jump into verse 59. And it says, And they stoned Stephen, who was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And so Stephen had seen the Lord when he looked up to the heavens and the Lord was standing. And Stephen calls out to him. It says, he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then in the very next chapter is our introduction to Saul. And it says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen into his burial and made a great lamentation over him. And then verse three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, or yeah, committed them to prison. So that's our introduction to Saul. That's, that's who he is, right? That's his identity. So go to Acts 9, just turn a couple pages, and we'll just read the beginning of that as well. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. 
and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. So again, we're talking about identities. And we know this is Paul, so I just wanted to take some of these characteristics that are being described and just apply them to a hypothetical. Um, so let's pretend there's a conversation going on. And somebody says, hey, have you, and I just picked a name here, so I don't mean it to be anybody, but hey, have you heard about that guy, Carl, that came in the other day? Well, no, what about him? Well, he has quite a reputation. They say he started threatening the clerk, and then he murdered that guy in the news last night. Oh, have they caught him yet? No, I think he's got the paperwork to do this. The officials are on his side. What are you thinking about this guy? <laughs> okay. Well, we find a reaction to this in the Bible, actually. So if we turn over to uh, Acts 9, 13, the Lord had just told Ananias that he was supposed to go talk to Paul. And Ananias, right away, he answers the Lord, and he says, Lord, I have heard of the, uh, by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all them that call on thy name. So see, he's having this similar reaction, I would think, that we would have if we heard about a guy like this. Like, what are you talking about, God? Like, this guy is messed up, <laughs> right? So, of course, what, what Ananias wasn't recognizing here was that God had stopped Paul on the road to Damascus. And he revealed who he was to Paul, and he revealed to Paul who Paul was going to be for Christ. And so no more does God recognize Paul as the things that Ananias is describing, but rather that in verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And so... We're talking about this, I am crucified with Christ. And this was who Paul was before his conversion. Now we just looked at where he has now believed. Paul learned about who he was going to be through Christ, and we learn about who we're going to be through Paul. And your old man positionally was killed on the cross along with Christ. And by the work that Christ did, he killed you. Did you know that? By necessity, you, re you required to have been killed, to have died. And realize that this is a positional or spiritual truth. Okay. So our, our bodies are still here, that sort of thing. But we're going to turn to Romans 6.3 now. And this gives a little bit more about this idea of um, us dying. So Romans 6.3. All right, Romans 6.3. Here's one of those examples of Paul saying, Know ye not. Okay, This is something that you're supposed to know. You need to know this information. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. So Paul reminds the believer here that you've been baptized by the Spirit into Christ. And that is, you, if you've been saved and justified and sealed, then you've also been baptized or identified with his death. And no matter the type of baptism being spoken about in the Bible, baptism is always for a reason of identification. 1 Corinthians 12.3 tells us that we are all baptized into one body by the Spirit, and that's the body of Christ. And so we're identified with his death. We're baptized into his death. When you were saved, this happened, and then it happened immediately. And you may not have known that, but Christ's death counts as your death. So what's the purpose of that? We're going to skip down to Romans 6.7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ we believe that we shall also live with him. And so that goes into point number two now. Christ liveth in me. 
So we're going to read up to that point, which, uh, well, to the next um, chunk, and then we'll get to the Christ lived within me. But I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Wait, so I was dead, and now I'm back alive. Okay, how does, how does that answer anything? My old man was walking around, and boom, my old man was slain by God. Okay, but now I'm back. So what are we talking about here? Is this like zombies or something? Ephesians 2, verse 1. Turn it real quick. Um, yeah, Ephesians 2 1. Ephesians 2 1 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Okay, you hath he quickened, he's made you alive. And I think we all understand this. But we were once dead in trespasses and sins. And now we've been made alive. Even greater still, in Colossians 2.13, it says that you've been forgiven those same trespasses and sins. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains more about this newness, right? So it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Okay, so there's this idea of the old passing away, and then the new comes, the newness of life. And so if we just think back a moment for Paul, that's his example. He was labeled as a murderer, and you know he, he was a persecutor, and then all of a sudden he was saved, and he was called a chosen vessel by God. God called him that. Okay, so I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. So how can this be? Let's turn over to Colossians 3, which answers a little bit of this. Colossians chapter 3, and verse, we'll start in verse 1. And as we read through some of this, um, it's kind of starting to get where it's being blurred between the second point and the third point, and that's because they're just so closely tied together. And so you're going to be seeing, like, as we talk about Christ living in us, now what are we supposed to do with that? So in Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, it tells us a little bit about what we're supposed to do, and then 3 is going to tell us because. So, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. And why is that? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. See, it almost sounds like a paradox here. Like, we're, we're dead, but we're alive, right? Well, that's because we do still have the flesh with us, and that flesh is dead. We're supposed to count it dead, and then, then we have Christ, who is our life, and that's where our life is hid in Christ. And I do want to step back at this point, because I think it is kind of hard sometimes to grasp these things, so I'm just going to kind of bullet point, uh, go through a, a few of the changes that have happened for you here. So we talked about you were dead in trespasses and sins. So that was you uh, before, before your salvation, right? And you were a slave to sin, and absolutely and totally, completely a slave to sin. There's nothing you could have done about that. But by his grace, God offered you an amazing deal. So God says, if you believe me and Christ death, burial, and resurrection, you will be justified based on the work that my son has done. So notice that it's Christ's work. You had nothing to do with what Christ did on that cross with the exception that you were a sinner 
who greatly needed that work to be done. And God, God simply says, believe it. It was for your sins. So the moment that you do, you receive a new identity. We're, we're asking the question, who am I, right? You receive a new identity, and immediately you are justified, sanctified, forgiven. You are buried with him in his death. And then what else? Well, you are quickened. You are made alive. You're raised together with him and given newness of life, a new creature. All things are new. And always remember that the only way that you find out any of these amazing truths about who you are is the same way that the gospel got to you, and that is that God wrote a book. So back to Galatians 2.20. We're going to read up to the next part there. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians 6, he's, he's talking about, uh, well, this idea of Christ being in us. And in verse 19... He says, well, he's talking about the idea of like fornication here, and the, the, or fornic fornication rather, in the previous verse, and to stay away from those things. Then he says, what? Know ye not? There that is again. This is something that you're supposed to know about yourself and who you are. Okay? He says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? And he says, for you are bought with a price. And what price is that? Well, that's the price that Christ had to pay for us. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So God calls you his, right? And as I said, like some of these things bleed together as far as Christ being in you and then what you're supposed to be doing about that. And that's, that's where um, you're to glorify God in your body. And so um, there's this idea here, though, of Christ living in you and all who believe the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, and it's the same Spirit that quickened you, made you alive, and it makes you able to wholly connect with God. You never could have done that before. So you are a temple. Christ lives in you, and you in Christ. How should you present that temple? Is it in glory to yourself or in glory to God? Will you present it in the identity of who you once were, that sinner, or who God has made you to be, that idea of being a saint? And here's something else to consider. If Christ is in you, how far away is he at any given moment? Okay. And if you are in Christ, literally you're a hand or foot or toe of his body, whatever position you may have, how much closer can you be to Christ? How much more assured of salvation can you be than to know that you are so intertwined and woven together with Christ? And so uh, if God has literally given you the mind of Christ to learn through Scripture— how far ever are the desires and wills, will of God from you? And so I start to realize through these things, and I hope you would as well, the importance of Philippians 4.19 when it says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Our need is completely filled by this position given to us in Christ. And remember how Paul came to learn that he was a chosen vessel. When God told him, this is what you're going to be. He was given that identity. Right. So now we're going to talk about the application that Paul is giving to his own life with these truths, truths, when he says about the life that he now lives. So now we're going to read the full verse of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, 
So that's in these bodies. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so can, can you see a little bit about how Paul is applying the truths from the book of Romans to his own life, uh, as he says in this verse? So, for example, he, he made a point in Romans to say that, you know, you were identified with his death. And in here he's saying, I am crucified. So he's applying that, that that is my position. So you are counted dead in, to sin and alive to Christ. And this is what God has identified as true for you, for any believer. God has asked us to believe what Christ accomplished for us at the cross. And we, when we believe this, we are no longer bound to that identity as a sinner. We are changed positionally. Just as Christ's death, burial, and resurrection saw him raised, we are also raised, even right now. So Romans 6, 4. Go back to Romans 6 and read through a little bit of this here. Romans 6, 4. So he just got done saying the know ye not, that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. In verse 4 he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's what we should be doing. And I'm going to continue on uh, till verse 11. But knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That's a pretty incredible thing to apply that to your life and say, yes, I am crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth to God. And this is where, now we're going to reckon these things to be so. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God has identified you once again as this new creature. He literally has made you alive and able to respond to him, able to, to desire and seek him and to do his will. God has told you who you are. While we are on this earth, we still have the old man with us. I mentioned that. We still have the flesh. But our flesh, and our flesh doesn't leave until we physically die, right? And that's why 1 Thessalonians 4.4 4 tells us to possess our vessels in sanctification and in honor. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like taking control of this flesh and using it to do God's will. But how do you do that? Well, it's this knowledge we're learning about right here. Who are we? So you've been given a job description, right? So if you, if you go apply for any job, they're going to give you a job description about what you're supposed to do. Well, God already gave you the job, and now you need to look at the job description and see what it is you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to take control of this flesh and use it to, God, to do God's will, as I said. He has made us able... And now it is our responsibility to grow in the knowledge of God, to feed our new man with spiritual knowledge from the Bible, so that we can realize our identity in Christ and live according to that truth. Okay. So in conclusion, I have numerous times asked the question, who are you? Right. And as we wrap up, I would just suggest that in your prayers you thank God 
for all the things that he has called you that we've learned about. Okay? When God tells you who you are, that should be your identity first and foremost. There are so many ways in which God identifies you. And in my last message, we were called ambassadors and soldiers. And I know somebody else spoke on soldiers at one point too. And you can just go into any of these topics and just probably rack up three or four <laughs> sermons on any one of them. But, you know, we were called those things. And this message I focused on you being crucified with Christ and that being your identification in Christ. Um, you're being told that truth and you're now able to live a life that honors God. So have you reckoned that to be so? And that's something I have to ask myself as well. We all struggle with sin. And one of the keys to defeating it, to breaking the addictions or saying no to temptation, is to learn about who you are. But not you, Christ in you. And you've been made able to step away from sin and choose God because you are now his. So just in remembering Paul, Paul was the chief of sinners, right? His identity was known very well as a murderer and persecutor. And then on the road to Damascus, God saved him by grace alone, clearly on display. Paul did not deserve that salvation, just like we don't deserve our salvation. Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles and a pattern for those after him that would believe. He had no qualifications. It was simply grace that saved him on that road. And so just as Paul applies these things to his life and shows us how we can live a victorious life in Christ, we can apply these truths to our own lives and live out the will of God. Now, here, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, how do you introduce yourself? And this is something that I've started doing, and it can be a little bit awkward sometimes, but I've started trying to introduce myself by some of these truths, right? So the question might come up, like, what do you do, or who are you? And I'll say something like, well, I'm an ambassador for Christ, or I lead a Bible study. And that can be a little strange to people, but it's important to really consider those things as your identification, what God has called you. And it's so easy to just hide what, you know, those truths and what is true of that very important identity. And why don't we lead with that in our conversations? So going back to the Romans 6 here, uh, I want to back up to the first verses of this chapter. So Paul had just explained salvation, how that works, the grace of God. And he starts out the chapter of Romans 6 with this question. He says, what shall we say then? So they learn about who they are, that they're justified, sanctified, sealed. He gets into chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So there's this idea of the fact that the only reason that grace is necessary is because we're all sinners. And so there's this question being addressed. Like, does it glorify God to keep sinning so that his grace can be on display? Verse 2, God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Okay? And that, that's the importance of recognizing who you are and applying that. So I'm just going to read Galatians 2.20 once more and also add on 21 to kind of finish the story uh, that was happening there um, in the context. So if you remember, there was that dispute going on. Paul is reminding Peter of the grace of God. All right? And so he got to this point where he's saying, this is, this is how salvation works. It's apart from the law, okay? And so he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. 
So just one more time, I want to ask the question, who are you? And I would encourage you to write that down and count your blessings as the song said. Okay. And by the way, we are given all spiritual blessings in Christ. That's in Ephesians. So maybe search that out. All right. Well, dear Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for this time we had this morning to uh, just come to your word and just to seek it out and uh, find these truths about what you have called us to be and what you've called us to do. You have saved us from something and uh, you are saved, we are saved to do something. So Lord, thank you for giving us, giving us these truths and these instructions and uh, our job description through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.